It sounds a little weird, but being the host of a show like Dinners on Me, where you eat out all the time, can be a little stressful on the body. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a little sluggish and I wanted to make sure I was getting the daily nutrients that I needed. Since drinking AG1 daily, I feel real difference with my energy levels and my ability to focus. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all my family and friends because it's formulated based on the latest science and maintains high-quality standards. Even Justin has started drinking AG1, and he tells me that it really helps his energy level, helps with stress, helps his gut health, all that good stuff. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner to the Dinners on Me podcast. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free free AG1 travel packets with your first purchase at drinkag1.com slash dinner. That's drinkag1.com slash dinner. Check it out. Hi, it's Jesse. Today on the show, the brilliant, curious, and kind Padma Lakshmi. We'll talk about the second season of her amazing show, Taste the Nation. It's one of my favorites. Being a latchkey kid in New York City in the 80s and what it's like to be a super taster. Even as a toddler, I was eating very, very spicy pickles and I would actually seek them out and try to sneak them when everyone was sleeping. You're going to want to stick around for this. I'm on West 53rd Street in the heart of Midtown. It's late afternoon and there's tourists figuring out where to go next, business people making those end-of-day closer calls. 53 is new to Manhattan, but it's quickly wowed Manhattanites with both its design and its food. Both are dramatic. The space itself feels part restaurant, part gallery. But it's a spot that doesn't want to be just beautiful. It takes its food very seriously, too. This is Dinners on Me, and I'm your host, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Without further ado, you might know her from Bravo's Top Chef, Hulu's Taste the Nation, or her numerous books, Padma Lakshmi. I've never seen you in person in an elevated place like this, because when you take me out, we're going like hole in the walls, we're going to like these tiny little places you found. Even when you come to LA, you're like, these are the places that we can go. So, like, we never go to places that are, like, you know... You know why? Because those places, to me, at this point, are more interesting. Food is one of the weird things that trickles up. Like, Mm -hmm. food trends trickle up versus trickling down. Yeah. So, that's why I want to go to those mom-and-pop stops. Yeah. You know, because that is where the future of food in this country is, to me. Of course. I totally agree with you. Um, Will you just order for me? Sure. (laughs) <laughs> we'll get an eel club. Yes. The Zhao Long Bao and the crystal dumplings. And we'll get some bok choy with toasted garlic and the skate. Yes. Good ordering. Um, I just remember the last time I saw you was at your Dwali party. Was that long ago? Yeah, it was a really long time ago. Wow, that's in over person. six months ago. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I think yeah. we've talked on the phone since then. but Probably. Just, um, you said I'm the only one who calls you on your birthday, including your mom. 
You do call me on my birthday. I can't help it. I like hearing your voice. I mean, I could text you, but I text no, no, you anyway. I, I love so. I love it when I see that you're calling me or FaceTiming. I always like a good FaceTime. Um, and it's so funny. Our, our mutual friend, Malik Pancholi, mm-hmm. um, text, sent me a text message. He's like, have you been to Padma's Diwali party? I was like, yeah, I've, I've been. it's been like five or six years since I was able to go, but we're going this year. And he goes, how deep do they go into like you know, dressing up? And I don't remember six years ago, like anyone really dressing up. I was like, it's not, not, not really that, not much. He's like, okay, because Malik has like everything. Like, he yeah, has, and it's a good chance for him to absolutely. And you know, he wore it for his wedding, and um, so he's like, okay. He's like, I might wear, I might, you know, wear something. And I was like, okay, well, you know, we're just wearing suits because we don't have anything. And then I got there, and like we were the only two people that were wearing suits. Everyone else was like full tilt. And so Malik was like, I'm so glad I wore this. But then I remember your friend, Sarita, yeah. yeah. She came in like in jeans and a t-shirt and you swooped her up at yeah. the front door. You're like, <laughs> upstairs now. <laughs> well, she had called me and she had said, I don't know that I have anything ready. Because like all yeah. of us, we have a few of those outfits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, there, there are a lot to wear in New York or LA, like in regular life. And so I said, it's fine. I'm sure I have something. Yeah. And so she's like, okay, you better because I'm just coming in jeans. I said, just come and go right to my bedroom. Yeah. And she did. And she found probably what I wore another year. Right, you know, right, That's right. basically when I go to India, I bust that stuff out or sure. it's Diwali. Yeah. And those LA Indian people are <laughs> way more serious than New York Indian people. Yeah. Like, yeah, Asif Mandi and I were talking about that because all of a sudden now Diwali is all the rage. You know, when we grew up, it was like we got a few sweets and we were pushed off to school. You know, right. we didn't even get to go have a day off. But now it's like there's so many Diwali parties and I was looking at the one Yeah, in I know. LA. Well, I, I, well, I saw you on Instagram and I was like, you were at another one. I was like, you're Diwali hopping. I yeah. am Diwali hopping, yeah. <laughs> because Diwali is actually five days. We celebrate the first two days. Okay. but it's five days long and then I've never had any Diwali parties to go to yeah. so that's why I started throwing one when Krishna was born they were a lot smaller they've gotten progressively yeah no bigger. when I walked into this one I was like oh this is a whole we've we're at another level now yeah yeah you've <laughs> taken it up a notch <laughs> I'm so happy every time you invite me and when I can go because always you're always invited not whenever I invite you you just have an open no no I, I I'm thrilled to be on that list it's it's a huge honor to be there, and you know your your family is so sweet. And I always love seeing your mom. It's a tight list now because I can yeah. only fit so many people, yeah. and so we, every year we have to make some big Sophie's choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please, I hope I never get cut. You know, I, I listen to your memoir. I think oh, I told that's you this. good because I throw a few zingers in there that you aren't do. in the book. Yeah, I mean, you're also like you have one of those voices. I was like, just read me stories to go to sleep. You know, that's what I want. You know. I love yeah, audiobooks. Yeah. Me too, me too. And your, yours is so well done. Obviously, your, your memoir is gorgeous. Thank I mean, you. We talked about this when it first came out, Love, Loss, and What I Wore. No. Um, love, Loss, and What I, what no. I Ate. Oh <laughs> love, God. Loss, and What We Ate. Love, Loss, and What We Ate. You do not wear... <laughs> I know what it's called, Padma. <laughs> <laughs> love, love, Loss, and What We Ate. It's a beautiful memoir. But what... What sort of struck me when I was doing my research and it kind of broke my heart open again was, you know, I'm a father and I, I was looking at this through the, through the lens of a, a father and Beckett will be three in July. And I was, you know, being reminded that you and your mom were separated at such a young age, at age two, when your mom left you in India and came to the States. I remember sitting on the side of where the gate was to our house and there were there were these bushes on either side of the gate and there were berries and I would always pick and smush the berries between my fingers and I would always sit there 
And whenever people came home in the evening, I would say, what are you, what are you doing? What are you sitting here? And I would say, I'm waiting for my mom to come home mm. from work. And they would say, where is she working? And I said, she's working in America. Or in those days, I called it Amrika. Yeah. So your mom left you behind in India because she'd been through a divorce and it was it was very stigmatized to be divorced yeah it was super taboo so that's why she she left and with there I'm sure with always the intention of bringing you to the states when she sort of put down roots yeah she had to get settled I mean you know she came here with literally a hundred dollars to her name and at that time there was a shortage of medical professionals so she was able to get a visa that not everybody and she came to New York right she did she came came first to Rhode Island but she studied for her nurse's license both in Rhode Island and in New York with an uncle that she had but she quickly moved to New York when she got the job at Sloan Kettering Mm -hmm. Because my uncle in Rhode Island was the only relative she had in America at that time, you know, at least on the East Coast. So they helped her get the license or helped her, you know, house her until she could pass the license. She got a job and she got settled and she saved some money. And then she cobbled enough to send me a ticket to come when I was four. Did she go back and bring you back or did you have a family member to No, I came as an unaccompanied minor at At age four. four. You can never do this today, but, you know, one relative would drop the child off at the gate because also those were the days where you went right to the plane. You went right to the gate, right. And then the flight attendant or the air hostesses, as we call them back so, then. Or Sophia Vergara calls them plane waiters. Yeah. She couldn't remember the name. She said, where is the plane waiter? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was calling them air hostesses for a long, long time, much longer than I should. But they would shepherd you through and you always got to sit in that front seat in economy yeah so you had more room was that the first time that you were on an airplane at four yes and do you remember being scared are we is there just excitement that you were going to the place that your mom was was going to i was excited i don't remember being scared because i really wanted to be reunited with my mother i was very close to my grandparents and so in preparation for that trip you know, like any good Asian parents or grandparents, my mm-hmm. grandfather um, made me study for the mm-hmm. trip. So he made me learn all of the states in America in alphabetical order. I could recite them at four. I probably couldn't do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, he also made me understand, you know, because we don't have, we, now we do. We didn't have that many traffic lights. We had a lot of roundabouts and people trying to direct all the weird traffic in India from goats to rickshaws to scooters to everything. And in India, like the only rule, the only traffic rule is biggest vehicle wins. So everybody gives right away to the biggest guy. But he explained to me, you know, what don't walk meant, how to read that sign, the red and the green. You know, he told me to say that when I meet people, I should give them my right hand and say, how do you do? I'm fine. I'm well. Thank you. You know, because he loved, my grandfather loved America. He was so enamored with the pop culture and that you could go to a diner and get a cup of coffee and a donut for 50 cents. You know, he had been a a hydro engineer and he had traveled in America and Canada extensively to train American and Canadian engineers. And then he was also a very devout Hindu. Yeah. I'm here telling a story. Um, but these are the eel club. Mm-hmm. You can Gorgeous. see the with the eel and the foie gras. Then we have the jalambao. Um, I suggest using the spoon. And then bite the little top off and kind of let it steam for consuming. And then these are the crystal dumplings. Morel mushrooms. Beautiful. Spinach. 
Thank you. I think the reason I do what I do is because I was always searching for things to stimulate my palate. I think I was born a super taster and then I didn't know it until, you know, I was 40 something years old. But in retrospect, that kind of makes sense to me because, you know, even as a toddler, I was eating very, very, very spicy pickles. And my family was very worried about that. And I would actually seek them out and try to sneak them when everyone was sleeping and climb up like a monkey um, <laughs> in my grandmother's pantry to find the jars because she kept moving them higher and higher. Wow. Um, and then at some point, they just let me go. You know, they just said, okay, she's clearly not affected by it. Um, and I... I always like to eat, and that is that is what developed my palate. I mean, a lot of children who grow up in India, in Indian families, when they come to America, they find it hard because the food is so um, lightly seasoned or delicately flavored. You know, they're not used to eating right. that, and so they wind up dousing it with ketchup, mm-hmm. you know, or Tabasco, or a swirl of the two. Right, right, right. You know. Yeah. Do you feel, um, has... I mean, I, I, I've been in your I've been in your kitchen. I've I see the way you cook. You're so um, good about um, introducing not only your 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 friends and family, but like your daughter to these these things that you you grew up eating and in big flavors. Is she has she developed a similar sort of adventurous feeling around food? She can't eat as spicy as I ate when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and now that's bothering her before it never bothered her but now that her friends are coming over and they're like oh i love indian food and you know Mm -hmm. so she wants to eat spicier than she does because she feels like a wimp you know Mm -hmm. um but i told her like don't worry about it you know just eat what you want and try different things so she's she's a pretty adventurous eater i mean she's also grown up on top chef she's literally grown up sitting on the lap of my director ari yeah and looking at these screens and listening to you know gail and i and tom like breaking down food as we describe it so she's really good at doing an imitation of that yeah yeah yeah. i mean i remember you i remember watching top chef and, and seeing i think you were pregnant during one of the seasons yeah yeah how was it it's like, good. It's like juicy. Who wants you to bite off the tip? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he yourself. said it. I didn't. And then mm, right, just the tip. I just oh, <laughs> not the whole thing. <laughs> and and then he said, let it steam out. <laughs> well, I didn't. I'd bit off more than just a tip. Exactly. But that's, that's me, fine. you know. I always take more than just a tip. Mmm. <laughs> Still delicious the way I ate it. You know what? Messy, but delicious. Yeah, very good. I know that you also, just to sort of still continue on with your with your upbringing, your childhood, um, going back, having to go back to India at age 16, was it? No, I went back when I was seven. When you were seven? Yeah. Okay. To study there. To study. Okay. So you, you really did, I mean, straddle America and, and India quite a bit in those formative years. I went every summer. Oh, you did? For three months. Like the minute school got out, I was on a plane to India. How's this? It's very good. This is the jewel one, what do they call it? Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't remember anything. No, the crystal. 
They called it a this? crystal dumpling. <laughs> see? Because you can see through. I let you order, and then, like, I kind of, like, I went boo while you were ordering. I was like, Padma's got me. Mm. Yeah, it's good. I was thinking, and this, I mean, the, the circumstances are so different, but I was thinking about, because I've watched you with Krishna, you're just such an amazing mother. Um, and Thank I've you. seen you operate with her when she was very young. I've seen you kind of deal with her when she's, deal, deal with her, I put that in quote marks. Interact. But I, yeah, 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 interact with her as she's you know, more of an individual, and now she's a teenager, and she's expressing interest. And you were raised by your mother. She was a single mm-hmm. mother. I know Krishna's uh, father, Adam, he's around and like, yeah, yeah, in much, much different so. situations yeah. than you had where you didn't even know your father. Um, are there things you talk to your mom about, like being a, a single mom? Definitely. I mean, I gained so much empathy for my mom after having Krishna. Mm. And I always had empathy for her. You know, I have a lot of resources that my mother could never dream of having. Yeah. And so that is in itself even without Adam, makes it much easier. But, you know, there is this whole other parent that takes her every other weekend and splits the holidays yeah. with me. And also, you know, I I also, now that she's older, she doesn't want to miss school. So I leave her with Adam when I go to film mm-hmm. both shows. She still comes out for half of Top Chef because she feels a great proprietorship. Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, I have it much easier than she did. And when I look at how she managed to do all that she managed to do. I do talk to her about that. Mm. But my mom was also a 70s parent. <laughs> you yeah, know? much different. And so, yeah, much different. Like, my mother let me do stuff that I would never let Krishna like do. What? <laughs> well, I was a latchkey kid. I was roller skating around New York, but, you know, I used to take the subway. I had a dollar for lunch, and I would, you know, usually buy a slice of pizza and a can of soda across the street from school. And then after school, I'd go to the deli and get a bagel with cream cheese for 50 cents. And then in the morning, she would leave before I did for school, and she would leave me a little list, like, you know, go buy some milk and butter or whatever. And it reminds me still to this day of that Sesame Street cartoon. A loaf of bread, a container of milk, and And a a stick stick of of butter. butter. Exactly. (laughs) See, we're showing our age. But but I had all kinds of autonomy. I mean, I, I was loose in Manhattan from... 3 p.m., 2.30, 2.45 to 6.45. Wow. That's four hours as a, as a nine-year-old, wow. you know? And there was no supervision. We didn't have cell phones. I remember I literally had a key on some butcher string around my neck that was underneath my shirt, and I would let myself in. You know, I just remember skating back and forth on that one block between East End and York Avenue in front of my building. So... You know, yes, I was alone, but also I was supervised because I, w- I had a very deep relationship with my doormen because sure. they were just standing the neighborhood there, looked up literally you, yeah. watching me zip back and forth yeah. across their eye line, yeah. you know, through the glass door. And um, I think one time I got a whole two liter bottle of Coke and put salt in it. And I said, and, and the doorman was like, are you sure that's healthy for you? And I said, yeah, my mom knows I do it all the time. Wait, why would you do that? I just was trying to cook. Or I oh. don't know, I think I was trying to do something creative, you know, and yeah, that's yeah. how I started cooking. Like I would open up cans of um, Campbell's soup and I would add chopped chilies. Yeah, I would do that too. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, yeah. oregano. Yeah, customize. Tons. Yeah, customize yeah, yeah, yeah. it, gussy it up, mm, you know? Gussy it up, that's right. It sounds a little weird, but being the host of a show like Dinners on Me, where you eat out all the time, can be a little stressful on the body. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a little sluggish and I wanted to make sure I was getting the daily nutrients that I needed. Since drinking AG1 daily, 
I feel real difference with my energy levels and my ability to focus. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop also includes rhodiola and B vitamins for an energy boost. I just sort of added it to my morning routine. You know, you brush my teeth, I floss, I have my AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packets with your first purchase at drinkag1.com dinner. That's drinkag1.com slash dinner. Check it out. Support for today's episode comes from Hexclad. I hosted the Jane's Beard Awards um, twice, actually. I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling the truth. And Hexclad is the official cookware of the James Beard Foundation. So I was so happy to hear their Dinners on Me sponsors. Hexclad has revolutionized the cookware industry with an all-in-one hybrid pan that gives you the convenience and cleanup of nonstick, the versatility of your grandma's cast iron, and the durability to last a lifetime. Whether you want to make that perfect steak dinner on date night or ditch that greasy pan from your college apartment, Hexclad has you covered. James Beard celebrates incredible chefs annually with their prestigious awards that I have had the privilege of handing out. Again, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying. And it's no surprise that Hexclad is their official cookware. They are a chef's dream and I, I just, I love cooking with them. I feel so professional when I do. Hexclad also has a lifetime warranty. These are literally the last set of pots and pans you will ever have to buy. Trust me when I say your partner, your family, and all your dinner guests will thank you. So, Chef, now is the time to upgrade that kitchen. For a limited time only, our listeners get 10% off their order with an exclusive link. Just head to hexclad.com JTF. Support our show and check them out at hexclad.com forward slash JTF. Bon appetit. Let's eat with Hexclad's revolutionary cookware. Now for a quick break, but don't go away. Coming up, Padma and I have a very honest and important conversation about culinary appropriation. Okay, be right back. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. I wanted to dive into one of my obsessions, Padma's Hulu series, Taste the Nation. If you're not watching, download it and watch it right away. Well, finish listening to this podcast first and then watch it right after that. Let's talk about Taste the Nation. I am so endlessly proud of you for this show. I know how important the show is to you. I know that it's sprung from your work with the ACLU. First of all, your show is so well done. It's so beautifully, the cinematography of it is stunning. Thank you. Um, obviously, before I even watched it, I knew it was going to be something special because I've, I've listened to you in first person talk about food in very passionate ways, very intelligent ways. You, you love to educate as well, like without making it feel like medicine. Um, the second season's out now. I binged uh, three episodes last night. Good. I was really moved specifically by the, the Puerto Rican episode and the discussion about ketchup. And 
so many people that you encounter, you ask for ketchup or no ketchup, and it's all over the map. And what really struck me was when one of your guests, it's the, the woman who's a singer, she says, ketchup, that's colonialism on a plate. And I was like, wow, that is just so specific. And also, like, kind of the thesis of the show, I mean, you're using, in this case, a, a very specific condiment, ketchup, to discuss so many bigger things. And it, it opens up all these conversations about, you know, Puerto Rico, should we become the 51st state? Should we become our own, you know, thing? Like, what, what does it mean to separate from the United States? What, why do we need the United States? And it's a great debate that doesn't seem to have an answer. The, the episode does not end with a consensus. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, for, there isn't an answer at the end of that episode because people feel really differently about it. Yeah. But there are decisions made in Congress that affect Puerto Ricans by people who are not elected by Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's fair. Right. That's my position. Right. But I'm not Puerto Rican, and it's not for me to say. Right. Which is why I let Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico do do the talking, and there's different views. You know, some people are like, look what's happening to Haiti and -hmm. other places. And, you know, we just should actually try to become a state. Because Mm -hmm. the reason, if you've watched the episode, um, that food and produce specifically prices are so high is because of the shipping law, the Jones Act, which is really written 100 years ago to favor American corporations. And it says that anything being imported or exported in and out of Puerto Rico has to go to a mainland U.S. port first. Mm -hmm. And that that costs money, right? Just the act of doing that is like one more stop before it comes to whomever is paying for it. So the price is heavier is it you know and it prices a lot of families out right. of feeding their family in a healthy way when the climate is so beautiful they should be growing food not only enough for their little island but for a right. lot of the surrounding caribbean right. and you know with that puerto rican episode we we wanted the episode to be informative but we also wanted it to be uplifting we didn't and want it completely to completely is we didn't want to tell that same poor me story because Puerto Ricans are sick of it. Yes. And we wanted to also highlight people who are doing something about it mm-hmm. and are literally cultivating and improving the soil of their own land. Well, and at the end of the day, what Taste Nation is for me is it's a celebration of culture. Thank you. Oh, what's this? Our pots. Our clay pots. I forget which clay pots you got. You got the curry, the shrimp curry, and oh the cod. The white rice is for the curry. Thank you. I'm going to add a little bit of this chili infused soy into the cod. Get both of those in there because Padma likes it. Yeah. I'll take both the chilies. Thank you. Mm. And the rice is going to continue to cook and get nice and crispy. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Something I wanted to talk to you about because I think you would speak intelligently on it and I don't really know how to answer. Oh, so, okay. Let me back up. So I wrote a cookbook with my my good friend Julie, uh, who's from Alabama. I grew up in New Mexico, uh, and a lot of the recipes in the cookbook are recipes that I grew up eating, or versions of the recipes I grew up eating, sort of with my own spin from New Mexico. Julie has a whole, um, you know, all of her recipes are from what she grew up eating in Alabama, and a few of them are sort of like a fusion between the two. Like we have this enchilada pot pie that we really love, and when we were writing it, we did start thinking about like culinary appropriation and like what that meant is like two white people 
bringing, you know, I'm bringing a lot of dishes that have Native American roots. The steak cookie of New Mexico is the biscochito, which was brought in by Spanish settlers. You know, we're, we're doing gumbos and uh, shrimp and grits that, you know, very West African, brought over by enslaved people in plantation kitchens. And we did as much as we could to infuse our writing with, you know, explaining where these things came from, their origins. But, you know, when you're writing a cookbook, too, it's a piece of you that you're offering. I had a very, I don't know, complicated and sort of like white guilty feeling about writing some of these recipes. Well, as somebody who loves you like a brother and has known you for literally 15 years, Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you had that guilty feeling. Mm -hmm. You should have had that guilty feeling. Mm -hmm. That's my honest answer. Yeah. And I think it comes down to scholarship. Mm-hmm. Like, you've been to my house, you've read my books. I don't only cook Indian food at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that only Indian people should cook Indian food. That's ridiculous. Right. But, you know, if you're cooking, I'm going to just take Indian food as an example. Mm-hmm. But if you're cooking a curry mm-hmm. or, you know, you're cooking with turmeric, don't act like you discovered it. Right. You know, for the right, first right, right. time sure. and call it something else. And then, you know, you're clearly doing a hodgepodge of two yes. or three different things that you read and or tasted or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, all cooking at some point is appropriation, okay? Right. If only from your forefathers and mothers, right? There's no new idea. Right. Right? It's somebody's already done Everyone's everything. Everyone's been done. Yeah. Been done yeah. But I think what's important is is citation and also it may also it makes you not only sound smarter but be smarter mm-hmm. so you know in your case if you're taking a recipe from hash chilies right you're taking hatch chilies and you're making this chicken pot pie with hatch chilies and you just have to work backward everything is okay as long as you're explicit and honest about where it comes from mm-hmm. and give credit where credit is due right you know, so we're working on the Taste the Nation cookbook now, and I know exactly how you feel. I mean, it's it's such a different, interesting experience because usually I'm just writing recipes that I think are delicious and I'm using spices from the world or whatever and coming up with stuff. But even in that case, you know, even in Tangy Tart Hot and Sweet, I give citations. Which is I your talk second about, cookbook, right? Yes. Yeah. And I, which was actually just reissued a couple of years ago. Oh, 14 years later, they I love reissued. It. Yeah. It was great. I mean, Apple. It's a great cookbook. Thank you. Apple Books like picked it as their best new book, and I felt like uh, somebody should whisper to them. <laughs> it's actually not a new book. But I mean, you know, even there, I explain what a chipotle pepper is, you yeah, know, because yeah. at that time, nobody knew. Now there's this chain called Chipotle. So I think, you know, you just have to be aware that there's a whole world of deep history out there. Sure. And and then say that in as, you know, efficacious and brief but succinct way as you can, because also you've got this head note that you have to make everything fit into. Right, you know, you have like 120 words or whatever. Totally. And what do you tell them? Do you tell them about the wax paper that they should put on the sheet pan, you know, right. under the pie right. pan? Or do you tell them like, well, hatch chilies were really cultivated 12,000 years ago by Mesoamericans that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
But to me, you know, as you can tell, if you've ever watched Chase the Nation, I love history. Mm -hmm. I'm a history nerd. And so Chase the Nation plays to all of those idiosyncratic, weird rabbit holes I want to go down. But you do have an obligation to do that, especially if you are European-American, as I like to call white people um, in this country. You know, I mean, I just think it's fair that everybody (laughs) should have to hyphenate their name, right? And I think you, you owe it to yourself and your fellow Americans to do that. And by the way, I, it can be tedious, but in the long run, it's like going to the gym. You'll be better for it. Right. You'll not only feel better, you'll look better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? No, it's so true. And, you know, my first cookbook was called Easy Exotic, okay? And that title makes me cringe <laughs> today. But the intention behind that title is one that I still stand by. What I was trying to do is to demystify dishes that are thought of as quote-unquote exotic, Mm -hmm. but are only exotic to European Americans. Yeah. You know, I mean, bowl of dal or rajma, not exotic, as pedestrian as you can get in downtown New Delhi or even in London. Right. Right? Right. Even I remember going on the Today Show for the first time with Easy Exotic. It was like 1999. And then being like, well... How do you eat this? I think, yeah, something like Al Roker was like, well, how do you eat this? Or what do you eat it with? And I just kind of said, with a swoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, it just comes from not knowing. Sure. And so you don't just want to replicate that is mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. But I also think, like, you don't have to cancel a person. You can... Right. Now, I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but just as a principle, because... You know, if somebody wanted to, they could come after me for a 23-year-old book, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now that's what I'm going through that now with the right. Taste of Nation cookbook because I'm making Peruvian dishes and Chinese dishes and Cambodian dishes mm. and all the rest, you know? Do you and it's have, really hard. Do you ever, like, uh, ask for leadership or, or guidance from people who you know are from those yes. places? Yes, because... I'm not the, I'm the expert of the body of knowledge I, I possess, right. but I am not the expert on Peruvian food or Nigerian food. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, when we, the dishes that you see on the show are from that community made by people who have grown up with that mm-hmm. food. And, and, you know, in, in writing the cookbook, you know, there are only like three recipes from each culture. So we're adding a lot of other recipes that did not appear on the show or are from my other travels around the world. And so my first thing is research. Before I ever turn on the stove or go grocery shopping, it's research. It's trying to eat as many examples of that dish. It's asking people within that community, you know, can you make it with this? Can you substitute those raisins Mm -hmm. for sultanas or dried cherries if somebody wanted to? Like, is that okay? Mm -hmm. Or, you know... And also, they're my interpretations of those dishes, sure. but also, I have to say that. Sure. I have to say, this in the head This is my interpretation note, tra- of... Well, I have to say, traditionally, this bestia sure. is made with pigeon. We did a lot of that in my cookbook, yes, yes, yes. Um, and it's hard, you know, and I, I have to... Ultimately, my name's on that cookbook, mm-hmm. and I have to take responsibility for that. I mean, yeah. but, you know, white people have been writing great cookbooks from around the world for dozens of years and decades, Paula Walford, Claudia Rodin, you know, there are all kinds of Mm -hmm. people who are not, you know, quote unquote, 
all the Mediterranean countries that they're writing yeah. about, but yeah. they're doing their scholarly research. Nowadays, Yasmin Khan, you know, in England is doing some great writing on food from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So it is possible to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having that. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate that sort of frank conversation about culinary appropriation because it's something I think about a lot. I think about it when I'm eating out. I think about it when I'm looking at recipes online. I thought about it watching Taste of Nation. What I do love about that show is that you are going right to the places. You're talking to the communities who know the food, know the culture, know the history, and you're letting them speak for themselves. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the show. Thank you. I mean, that is where that frustration comes from because these people in these different communities have had other people come in, skate through the recipes, mm-hmm. and then go back and say, this is how you make this without, you know, someone from the community getting credit for it. Like if a Cambodian person was like, I want to write a Cambodian cookbook, it would be harder for them, maybe not today, but even five, six Mm -hmm. years ago, it would be harder for them to get published than you or me, because I have a TV show too now, Mm -hmm. and saying, I want to write a cookbook and I want to put Cambodian recipes, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think if I I pitched that idea, I'd get a, a real quick no. I would tell you not to pitch that idea before you got that If you shared it with me, I'd be like, no, Jesse, please, no. God. Don't you just love it when someone looks at you and says, hmm, something's different about you. What were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake than ever. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and wider for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes, and you know you can trust them because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lohm, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying... Something's different about you, but in the best possible way. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. This episode of Dinners on Me is brought to you by BetterHelp. Okay, so listen, I was in my kitchen the other day, and I'm, I'm very particular about how I like things in the kitchen. I need things to be in a specific place. I like things to stay clean. So imagine my frustration when I saw that my husband, Justin, had left an empty can of cold brew and a wrapper from Protein Bar on the counter right next to the recycling bin. Why couldn't he just open the drawer with the the recycling bin in it and put it in there? This is something I need to get off my chest. Therapy is a very safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I mean, I've learned a lot from therapy and I have learned that, you know, I need to pick my battles. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can even switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash dinners today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dinners. Oh, I'm so glad I was able to talk about that with Padma. Uh, But now for another break. But don't go away. We'll come right back and we'll talk about photos of Padma that recently broke the internet. Okay, be right back. 
and we're back with more Dinners on Me. Oh, we, and we haven't even talked about your Sports Illustrated. Oh my God. So, so let me just tell you, everyone that I've talked to about like, I'm seeing Padma, they're like, oh, I love her so much. And then they go, have you seen it? And I finished the sentence for them. I was like, yes, I have. What a moment. I mean, that is, you. first of all, you obviously look fantastic. I sent, I, I reposted on my Instagram of you on your hands and knees and your, oh. I said, this is me when I lose my contact lens on the That's bathroom so floor. That's funny. <laughs> it, you know, it was fun and terrifying of at the same it was. time. Yeah. You know, because I eat for a living and I have a really good metabolism, but still, you know, I'm not in my 20s. I would have killed for that in my 20s. I would have literally died of joy. Yeah. You know, because it's a really big deal for yeah. a young model. Yeah. That's happening now is really cool. I'm glad I did it. But, you know, it's just surreal. The whole thing from start totally. to finish is surreal. And I was shot by a Taiwanese-American photographer named Yu Tsai, who's wonderful and has such great energy. And I love those pictures. They're gorgeous. Because it had been a really long time, like probably over a decade and a half, since I've done any photo shoot like that. Mm. And for the first time, my skin looks like it looks. It looks brown. You know, it isn't lightened. Why, because they would lighten in post or? Yeah, yeah, it? or just the way they expose it, you sure. know. And this is the first time that I saw this beautiful pictorial. I mean, you know, there are a bunch of other photos from that that are equally, if not more gorgeous than the ones that I've already posted, um, where the skin just looks, and in one of them we're shooting at sunset and it looks really dark and it looks really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so I was really happy about that. I mean, I've, I've been on covers of magazines where, you know, like even with Tom in the early days of Top Chef where he's darker than I am. Oh. <laughs> You know? I mean, literally, like, yeah. I, I kind of was like, hey, you know, and the magazine blames it on the network, and the network blames it on the magazine, wow. and, oh, it's just the way it printed, and, you know, and mm. it's, it's just weird. You know, I had a childhood in this country looking at only white people, and I don't want the little girl version of me, whether she's Latina or little boy version of me, yeah. if they're Asian or whatever, to have that same experience. I want them to see people of all colors because that's what America is, Absolutely. you know? But more than the Sports Illustrated, the Time 100 is what I'm proud of. Of course, yes. I mean, I mean those are the, the there's two... There's like two very two, different ends of the spectrum. I went, up, I went onto your Instagram, though, right before we sat down. I was like, what's Padma posted recently? It was like, Sports Illustrated, Time 100. And like I was like, that is quite remarkable. Can I just ask what Krishna thought of the Sports Illustrated? She actually, she was having her friends over for dinner yesterday because see above, they love Indian food. Yeah. Before she wouldn't even eat dal. Now she's dishing yeah. it out to her friends. Sweet. But she asked me, she said, mom, can I show the Sports Illustrated to my friends, please? And I just said, no, it doesn't matter, you know, because it's just on my phone right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, no, I said, they don't need to see that. And she was, you don't mom. You are going to Google it? I mean, they're probably going to Google it, but I don't need to be at my dinner table with my teenage daughter, yes. with everything that's going on in their universe, and two other little girls, and be yeah. like, here's my Sports Illustrated right, shoot. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, that just feels icky to me. I know yeah. she's proud of me, and I'm proud I could do it and look nice yeah. as I did, but... I just, I have to be really mindful of that, yeah. especially with her. You know, she's yeah. used to seeing her mom 
do fittings, try to squeeze my ass into those Emmy gowns every year. And she doesn't need that in her life. Yeah. She really doesn't. Yeah. I tried to make a big deal of the Time 100 yeah. thing. And all she wanted to know is like, what was Michael B. Jordan? <laughs> she found out he was on the She'd not care that I was on the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm over the moon. I it's wish my exciting. grandfather was alive yeah. because this is something he'd actually be impressed by. You know, all my cousins and aunties and yeah. stuff are super impressed by Sports Illustrated. And the people who are the most excited, along with me, of course, about Sports Illustrated, are my gay male friends yeah. and my older women friends or my age women yeah. friends. I'm like, yes, God damn it. Yeah. You know? That and, tracks. And so that is wonderful, but I really wish my grandpa had been alive. Yeah. He would have lost his shit that I was the time, on time the Time 100. It, you know, for me, it's happening now. It's happening so much later. Like, I feel like it's I'm such a late right time. bloomer. But it's happening know? at the exact right time because you are, you're, you are in the right place in your life to, to handle all of that. And specifically with Taste of the Nation, you have you have so much um, you have so much world knowledge. You you are a mother. You're you've reached this point of your your career. You're in your life. You you are in the right place to be talking and telling these stories. I adore you. I love I adore you. you too. I love you too. Thanks for coming to Midtown. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. I think I need a passport to get yeah. back down below Fourteenth Street. <laughs> God, that was such a great interview. Padma is someone I look up to so much, not only as a friend who appreciates food, but she's also always looking for ways to educate people on its history and, and where it comes from. I felt very safe having that conversation with her about culinary appropriation, and I'm so happy we had it. It's an important conversation, and I'm, I'm really happy she dove into that conversation with me. By the time this airs, she will have announced her departure from Top Chef, which was devastating when I read that on Instagram. I, I called her and I left her voicemail about how proud I was for all that she gave to Top Chef. She was one of the first people who introduced me to the culinary world. I fell in love with food through early episodes of Top Chef. So before I even knew her as a friend, she was my guide and will continue to be as I learned so much through her and her amazing show, Taste the Nation. Next time on Dinners on Me, my on-screen niece, Sarah Hyland. We'll get into her romance with Bachelor in Paradise star Wells Adams, her insane childhood in the East Village, and how to reframe a workhorse mentality. Listen to even more episodes of Dinners on Me on Amazon Music. And if you don't want to wait until next week to listen, you can download that episode right now by subscribing to Dinners on Me Plus. As a subscriber, you not only get access to new episodes one week early, you'll also be able to listen to them completely ad-free. Just click Try Free at the top of the Dinners on Me show page on Apple Podcasts to start your free trial today. Dinners on Me is a production of Neon Hum Media, Sony Music Entertainment, and A Kid Named Beckett Productions. It's hosted by yours truly. It's executive produced by me and Jonathan Hirsch. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Chloe Chobel is our associate producer. Sam Baer engineered this episode. Hans Dale She composed our theme music. Our head of production is Sammy Allison. Special thanks to Alexis Martinez and Justin Makita. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Join me next week. 